Good morning. It's good to see you all. Hello, online. Ooh, I'm very ringy today. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you all. Uh, We're going to continue in our, we've been looking at the, the book of Hebrews the last uh, number of weeks. Um, I love when the Lord orchestrates uh, things to, to line up. This is really going to kind of be a continuation of our, of, our, of our worship, what the Lord was kind of saying and doing in worship, um, especially the, the, the kind of the word uh, Pastor Tori had at the, at the end there um, about encouragement. Um, that's really the, where, where we're going today. Last week, we looked at chapter 5 at the, and at the first part of 6, and we talked about, if you remember, if you were here or watched online, it was about uh, spiritual maturity. Um, what mat- who, who maturity is for? We saw that uh, spiritual maturity is for everybody. All believers are called to it. We, we, we looked at uh, what is true spiritual maturity, um, and we looked at how God develops that maturity in us. It was kind of the, the nuts and bolts of becoming like Christ. Um, we used uh, we defined that we used the the big word for that is sanctification. We talked about that that's that's what five and six was kind of pointing us towards. We saw it was an exhortation. It was uh it was it was kind of coach speech. It was it was do this and don't do that. And at times the writer is even uh, blunt to the point of insulting. At times we saw. In today's section, the, the, the author takes a little bit different focus. He begins to shift from, from exhortation, from um, explanation, and move towards encouragement and, and motivation. So um, right along with, with what Dad was saying this morning, it, the, I, it seems the Lord's uh, intent for us this morning is to be encouraged in this section, we're, we're going to see what fuels the transformation that, that, that we talked about last week. That sanctification, that, that becoming like Jesus. Um, it's one thing to know what to do. It's another thing to have within you, to have the, 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 the motivation or the inspiration to actually go and do it. How many of, here, how many of you here know, know, in theory, how to be in shape? Right, you, you understand the concept of riding a bike and lifting weights and running, running distances and all of the and eating healthy. We all understand that, but far fewer of us have the motivation to do it and put it into practice. The difference is not the information; it's the motivation and the inspiration. There's a um, there, there's a, a leadership uh, kind of strategy or mantra that, that goes around. It's talking about the difference between um, strategy, um, the, the, it's the information, the structure that you build in a, in a business, and the inspiration or the motivation that, that, that kind of fuels that business, which they kind of define as culture. And the, the, the strategy or the, the proverb is simply this. Uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast every time. You can, you, can, you can not have the best form, the best strategy, the best understanding, but if you are highly, if you can get a group of people or you yourself are highly motivated or highly inspired to, to throw everything you have into it, you can overcome a whole lot of bad strategy. 
But the other, the inverse is not true. You can have, you can have the greatest structure, the greatest idea, the most detailed plan, the best spreadsheets in the world. But if there is no motivation, there's no, there's no inspiration, if there's no drive, you will never see anything get accomplished. And so today the author shifts from the, the nuts and the bolts to the heart and the will. Today we see what fuels this transformation in our lives. And I pray that today we, we not only understand it, but we leave here a little bit more fueled up for, for the coming weeks, for our journey ahead as we, we continue to try and live and know Christ more, both spiritually and then hopefully you're going to stick around and we can get fueled up physically as we eat together. Before we jump into to our text for today. Let's just, uh, let's just pray real quick. God, we, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you don't just give us information, God, that you, you also are faithful to empower us. Let us hear your heart this morning. Let it encourage ours. God, let it not be, be my words or, or clever thoughts, but let us hear your mind, your heart today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak directly to us. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be, uh, I'm going to start with just a cu- the couple of verses that we ended with last week, and then we're going to uh, start into the, the text for, for this week, because it's kind of one, it, where we're starting this week won't make sense if it's kind of in the middle of a sentence. I hate it when they do that with verses. I'm sure there's a reason they do it, but I just wish that, you know, if you're going to put a number, it should be at the beginning of a thought, not in the middle. That's all that uh, tirade over. Because, you know, the numbers are not sanctified, right? We, we can, I'm allowed to, you are allowed to have an opinion about the numbers in the Bible. Because those were not, how many know, those were not written by the people who wrote the words. Right, that was done much later, much later, and they're helpful. They're just there to help us find what it is that that we're looking for in the important words. But they're not inspired themselves, so it's okay to be annoyed at those. Um, anyway, verse eleven, um, chapter six says, "Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts, in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true." Then you will not be, become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, verse 13, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no, greater, no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. So we see this shift to, in, in the, the author is shifting to encourage this group of Hebrews that is experiencing all of this struggle and this coming persecution and they're, they're, trying, to, they're trying to figure out if it's worth continuing to, to follow Jesus. And he switches and, and he's going to start encouraging them. And so the first thing he does is he calls their, to their memory a time in their history when God was faithful to a promise that he had made. We're already reminded of this this morning. 
Why did he do this? Because God's faithfulness brings hope, and hope is what fuels our faithfulness. Hope fuels faith. Look at um, an example I see in my life. My kids... um, my kids are very faithful to bug me to take them to McDonald's. Every, every day they, they are faithful to bug me to take them to McDonald's. Why is that? Because they have hope that it'll work because it works a lot. There is recent and fresh in their memory a time where they said, hey, let's go to McDonald's, and I said no, and they said yes, and I said no, and they said yes, and I said no, and eventually I said yes. And so it, it has fueled them with hope that even when I say no, there is a yes coming. Now that is not the healthiest example but that is, what, that is what the author is doing there. He's trying to encourage this group of people by reminding them of God's a promise God made that he had fulfilled in their own history. Remember, he's writing to Hebrews, and Abraham is the father of that nation. So this would be a, this is a, to them, this would have been a personal story. Maybe not a, a personal in themselves, but certainly in their, in their heritage. We need to become students of God's faithfulness. If we want to develop a life that is hopeful, if we want faithfulness in our life, if we want to to be passionate and we want to be inspired, we have to become students of God's faithfulness. Stories from Scripture, like, like Abraham, who was a nobody, that God just chose and said, Hey, Abraham, I've chosen you because I've chosen you for no other reason and I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless you. Never mind the fact that you're old. Never mind the fact that, that your wife is old. Never mind the fact that you don't have any kids. Never mind the fact that you don't live anywhere near I want you to be. And we know the story. Stories like Peter. Just a fisherman with a boat and a temper. Hanging out in Galilee, and Jesus comes, and he calls him, and he, and he walks with him, and he trains him, and Peter spends the three years that, that Jesus is training him, sticking his foot in his mouth, and, and doing things he shouldn't do, and making people angry, and still, God, Jesus transforms him into one of the, the foundational leaders of the church as we know it today. We need to become students of God's faithfulness in Scripture. Matter of fact, in the book we're going through, Hebrews, the last chapter of Hebrews, uh, some people call it the, the the Hall of Faith instead of the Hall, you know, the Hall of Fame. Um, every sport has one. Hebrews, the end of Hebrews, is called the Hall of Faith because it's exactly that. It's just a record of promises that God has made to different people and how those promises were fulfilled through their faith. But the Bible is not the only place that we need to become students of his faithfulness. We need to to become students of the stories in our own lives. Times when God promised you something and then was faithful to complete it in your own life. 
If you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you have these stories. Times when God led you somewhere amazing, healed you of something, led you to your spouse, led you to to freedom out of a bondage of something. Whispered an idea or a thought in your head and then guided you to, to its fruition. Do you think all the good things in your life were really just your great ideas? I was talking with, with my wife, Shannon, earlier this weekend about just this idea as I was studying this idea that I wonder in my own life how many promises God has fulfilled in my life that I don't really even recognize as fulfilled promises because I never recognized that he was telling me that he was going to do it. I missed that part. But here's the crazy thing. God is so faithful, he doesn't let our, our ignorance or our uh, ability to not hear him sometimes stop him from accomplishing the great things that he wants to in our life. He keeps working on us and working on us and working through us and working with us, and eventually, eventually these things come to fruition, and then to us it's like, oh, there's this big surprise, blessing, God, I can't believe it. And he's going, well, that's great, I'm glad you finally recognized my hand in it, but I've been telling you for like three years this is what we're working on. You just didn't quite catch the memo. There are stories in our own lives and not only are there stories in our own lives, there are stories in the lives of our friends, of the people in this room, times where God has shown up for them. And it is vital that we know each other's stories. One, so we can, so we can uh, glean encouragement and motivation for our own lives and grow our own faith because I know so-and-so went through something and I'm going through that now and I saw how God walked him through that or her through that and, and now I can, I can come to that person or I can remember that story and say, hey, if, if, if God did it for him, he can do it for me. It's also important for us to know each other's stories because it's easy, just like you, your friends forget their stories, right? When you're, when you're struck, it's hard when you're in the middle of something to, to remember those times. And so if we, there is nothing more, um, well, you, if you're married, you know this. There is nothing more frustrating than being uh, proven right or wrong by something you're doing with your own story from your own life from somebody else. Anybody ever had had that experience? One of uh, we have an elder. I don't know if he's here today. I'm going to tell him anyway. Ride Razio is one of our elders. Amazing guy. He is famous for this. I can't count the number of times we'll be having a meeting and we're trying to discuss something and we're struggling with something and, and he'll just get a smirk on his face and go, you know, a wise guy once told me and he will repeat back to you something you said to him months ago that applies to the situation that you forgot you said. And it, it is frustrating, but it is valuable. 
It is valuable. And that only happens if your friends know your stories so they can report it back to you when you're really struggling and you're really frustrated and you're, you're, you're starting to, to, to doubt or you're struggling with, with being depressed or, or, or this thing that you're not sure if God's going to come through. But if they know your stories, they can encourage you with your own life and say, no, don't you remember two years ago you were saying these same things and, and look what God did. We have to become students of each other's promise stories with God. Because God has promised us some amazing things. There are so many promises in the Bible, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to put them all up there, but I just want to read you some of these and just let them kind of wash over you and, and maybe pick one as I read them and say, which one of these do I need right now to know, to grasp onto in my own life? Deuteronomy 31.8 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Psalms 32.8 says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Isaiah 40.31 But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. 1 Peter 2.24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. We have a God that is generous. In 1 John 1.9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all the wickedness. Listen, we are swimming in a sea of promises from the Lord. But if I'm honest, um, in my own life, I am so quick to dismiss myself from those, those promises because of my own shortcomings. The enemy is so good at finding a, or creating a perceived loophole. You know, most of these, if you, when you read these promises, a lot of times there's kind of a, there, there's kind of a, you have a contri con contribution to it, right? You know, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. If you need wisdom, you have to ask for it, all these things. And so it's, I'm so quick to think of a promise and before I can even get any encouragement for it, my, my own, my own self-centeredness and my own, really, ego at times can choke out and say, I, well, those don't, those don't apply to me because of X, Y, Z. And if that's, if that's you, if you can relate to that, this next part of the passage in Hebrews is for you and was, was a great encouragement to me. So let's, let's jump back into our, our, our main text. In verse 15, it says, then Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. So he's, remember, he's using Abraham as the example of, of God fulfilling a promise. And, and in verse 15, he, he continues and says, Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. Okay, but, but did he really? Do, we, do you remember the story of Abraham? 
This was the guy God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to take care of you. And, and according to this, he waited patiently. But, but there's some things in the story of Abraham that I would not qualify as waiting patiently. Like fathering a child with your wife's servant because you hadn't had the baby yet. Or at one point pretending your wife was your sister because you're afraid the king is going to take her and kill you so you're willing to give her up to be his wife. These are not examples of patiently waiting or great faith. But when God looked at Abraham, he still counted him as faithful. That's good news for me. But why is that? Why does this perfect God seem to be willing to look past these failures? If we keep reading, we get an answer. Verse 16 says, Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. So God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Look how God locked in God is on this idea. Verse 18, he says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Wow. We can be confident in God's promises, listen, because they are rooted in His faithfulness, not yours. It's His oath. It's His promise that He is keeping, not yours. There is some amazing imagery buried in this verse that highlights this point. In the second part of 18, he says, um, in the verse he talks about how we who have fled to Him for refuge... That, that, that term refuge, you hear, a lot, you hear it a lot, especially in the Old Testament. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a, such a rich picture based on a, a, real, a real part of, of, of Hebrew culture um, that, that really kind of helps us understand just how committed God is to fulfilling this in spite of us at times. It's, when it's talking about us fleeing for refuge, it's, it's talking, it's a reference to... Cities of refuge. And these were, these were um, the original audience would have been very familiar with these. This was a specific thing. You know, we've, we, in modern kind of the United States, lately there's been a lot of talk about um, refuge cities or sanctuary cities, right? And, um, and largely that, that, to us, that when we talk about those, we're dealing with, with um, refugee statuses or, or, or people who don't, aren't, aren't necessarily in the country legally, right? That's kind of the, the question that they're dealing with. But these, these cities were not that at all. These, were not, these had nothing to do with, with whether you were a, a Hebrew city or an Israelite or not. These cities of refuge, they were six specific cities that that the law that God had set up through the law, uh, through Moses, throughout the nation of Israel. And they were cities that were controlled by the Levites. You remember, if you remember, the Levites was the, the tribe of, of Israel that was responsible for 
the temple, right? They were the, they were the line, they were the tribe that, that all the priests came from. They were, they were the priestly tribe. In fact, they were not even, they weren't given, um, physical land like the rest of the tribes because they were, they were commissioned, they were called to, to serve the rest of the country as, as priests. And so they were kind of dispersed throughout the land. But they did have some cities that, that they lived in and, and, Six of them, to be exact. And um, these were cities where the Levites lived and governed. And God appointed these cities um, to be cities of refuge, he called them. And and basically what they were was, um, if you were being accused of a crime that warranted death. Now, being accused of a crime back then is a little different than now. They didn't necessarily have... You know, when we say you were accused of a crime, we assume we kind of have this picture of, you know, that means that means someone reported it to the police and the police have investigated and they've, you know, they, they maybe they've made an arrest and you've had an arraignment and all that stuff. That's not the way things worked back then. <laughs> it was it was very much a family thing. There wasn't necessarily a, a police force when it, when it said you were being accused of a crime. You were being accused of a crime by by another citizen, by another family, right? And it, 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 and certain crimes were warranted death if you caused the death of somebody else. Um, for one, even if it was that could be now that could be murder. That could be an accidental death. That could be, you know, you got in a fight with the guy. Um, and, then, and then there's some other, there's some other crimes as well that, that in the law warranted death. The, the, um, but what would happen is a lot of times the family would decide, they would, they would accuse you, and then they would go ahead and carry out the, the, the punishment, um, and you had no trial, right? It was just this family decided that you were guilty, and so they came after you, and, and a lot of times they would get to you and kill you before you got a chance, and then later it came out, oh, you didn't really do it, or it didn't go down exactly the way they thought it did. And so... God in his wisdom set up these refuge cities. And these were cities that if you were accused of one of these crimes, you could run to these cities. And as long as you stayed there, the Levites were bound to protect you and keep you safe and not let the accusers come in and take care of you. Even in cases where the person did cause the death of someone, they uh, by law the family was allowed to avenge them, but they were not allowed into the city of refuge. They were given protection. The writer is reminding the, the, the Hebrews that God has always and will always shelter us from our accusers. Even when we've brought the accusation on ourselves, It's an amazing thing. And he continues the encouragement in, in verse 19. He says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Listen, it's our confidence in God's faithfulness that ushers us into his presence. That inner sanctuary, that's, that's where in the temple, you remember with the big curtain, where, where God met man and where the priest would go in and, and offer sacrifices to, to, to make, make amends, to, to make right our relationship with, with God. I love that phrase, 
This hope we have in God's, what are we hoping in? God's faithfulness. In God's commitment to, to, God's commitment to his own promise. God's commitment to his own oath. It is a trustworthy anchor for our souls. And this, that is such an important concept for us to remember that at the end of the day, the anchor for your soul has to be in God's faithfulness not in your excellence. In just a minute, we're going to um, remember what, what it costs him to enter the, that sanctuary. We're going we're gonna to take communion if, uh, the, if the, the ushers want to start passing out the elements. Um, We're going to remember what it cost him to enter that sanctuary and become our high priest. But before we get to that, I wanted to, um, I've teased this for a few weeks because it just, this next verse keeps coming up and up and up. This is probably like the fourth, fifth time we've read some version of this verse in Hebrews. And I promise we get to it, so um, we're here. Uh, verse 20 says, Jesus has already gone in there. Where's there? The, the inner sanctuary. God is, he has already gone in there before us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you've been with us, you know we've, we've heard this phrase in the order of Melchizedek, uh, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, over and over and over again. This is kind of a theme that keeps running through. What, what is this all about? Well, there's an entire, if you want to go, we don't have time today to go into great detail, but chapter 7 lays out the whole history and the story of, of where this comes from. But I, we don't have time for, to go into super detail. And to be honest, this is one of those instances where we have to remember that, you know, the Bible was written for us, but it was written to somebody else. <laughs> Right, this story. This is one of those stories that, when you study it, it's really it can be really impactful. But to the original audience, it really would have had a lot more um, emotional or evoked a lot more um, emotion because they would have grown up with this understanding. Right? They didn't. They wouldn't need a chapter of They wouldn't need all this explanation that that we have to do to even understand what they're talking about. They would have grown up with it. This priest in the order of Melchizedek is kind of a shorthand. It's a, it's a phrase that, that, that meant a whole bunch of other stuff that we don't necessarily uh, grasp just on, on the surface. So who was this guy? Melchizedek, he's a mysterious character. To be honest, we don't, we don't know a, a lot about him. Um, he, he appears in, in Genesis chapter 14. Uh, we read how Abraham um, is returning from, from winning a risky battle. And on his way home, um, this is before he has kids and all that stuff. On his way home, he encounters Melchizedek, this guy. And it says of him, he was both king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. Now, this is a very curious phrase. One, because it is, it is really rare for there to be a king and a priest in the same person. Those, those jobs are almost, almost always separate, for one. And, but for two, um, the timing is weird. He's the priest of the Most High God. Well, 
Abraham hasn't created a family. There is no, when we, like, typically when we, when we read Priest of the Most High, we're, we're talking about the, the line of Aaron, the Levites, the, the priesthood, right, of Israel. Well, none of that exists yet. It's Abraham. He hasn't had any kids that have had kids. They haven't been in Egypt. God hasn't rescued them and created Israel. Ha- the law hasn't been given yet. And so this is the first mention in, in the Bible of a, of a, of a high priest to, to God. And it's kind of mysterious. We don't, have a, we don't know a lot. There, there's just a couple of verses here. But we, we see that this king priest comes out of nowhere, it seems, um, to bless Abraham. And it, there's some verses in there. He, he blesses Abraham and, and kind of gives this, this, this almost prophetic blessing to him. And then Abraham, in return, gives Melchizedek a, a tenth of all the spoils that he recovered from battle. So he tithes to this, to this, this king priest. So we fast forward um, so that's the, that's, that's the account. Now the significance of it, the, kind of the easiest way to understand the significance of it, we fast forward, um, you know, this gets recorded and, and becomes part of, of the Hebrew culture and, and Israel and their history. If we fast forward to the book of Psalms, in, in uh, Psalms 110, King David is writing a prophetic psalm in which he declares that the Messiah will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this account that has happened, and there's, you can, there's plenty of debates and scholars argue about who Melchizedek was and the, the specific significance of, uh, of that and all that. We're not going to get into any of that today. But the, the, the point is that, that at the end of the day, this, this account that we have um, of Melchizedek becomes kind of the, the, the prophetic uh, shorthand for the Messiah. The writer of Hebrews repeats this phrase over and over again because he's reminding his fellow Jews that Jesus has been God's great promise since the beginning. Since the beginning. He, he, he's not a plan B. He's not a, 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 an oops, let's figure it out as we go. Jesus has been the plan from the beginning. He has been orchestrating and all of these things. That, like Dad was saying today, it, it's, it maybe has felt to them that, that time is running out, but God is always on time, in his fullness of time. And I think it, he summarizes it best at the beginning of chapter 8. If, if we, we, we jump there, uh, and starting in verse 1, and he kind of tells you he's, it's the, the point because he just says it. Verse 1, here's the main point. Uh, I know, that's some great exegesis on my part. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. If we skip down to to verse 6, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Jesus is better. The covenant that he provides is better. The promises that he brings and he fulfills are better. Why? Because they're based on his faithfulness, not ours. 
Jesus became our high priest through this great sacrifice on the cross. Everyone should have their, their communion elements. We're gonna, that's the point of Hebrews, the whole book. It's the point of the New Testament. It's the point of the Bible. It's to point towards Jesus' great sacrifice as the stamp of approval and the, and the proof that Jesus finishes what he starts and he fulfills his promises. Even if it costs him his life, which it did, as we know. This is why we celebrate communion. He allowed his body to be broken for us. Because he's that committed to seeing his children be reclaimed into his name. If you take the bread and as you, as you take it, can we all just say the, this simple phrase? Just say, thank you Jesus for claiming me. And take the bread. He claims us with his body. And he also shed his blood to make good on, on those promises. You know, making promises is, is, is one thing. Keeping them something else. We've all had people in our life that were good at the first part. That's right. And not at the second. And is there anything worse than that? It's better to just, right? We've all had, had those experiences, and it's just better to not make the promise. But Jesus does. He makes the promise, but he fulfills them. This promise that he would free us from our sins. And he did it by shedding his own blood. So as we take the cup this morning together, would you just say, thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus' promises are, 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 are the, should be, have to be the core of our hope. And his faithfulness is the motivation to hope in it because we've seen him. We can track his faithfulness in, in our past, in scripture past, in our friends' past. So we're going to close here in a minute in um, just a second, but... Uh, I want to give you, leave you with two questions. And as we, as we go and we get to spend some time together um, eating some food, uh, I, I would encourage you at your tables, this is the, this is the challenge. Uh, you know, sometimes they give you homework. You get to do your homework before you go home this week. How great is that? Don't you, don't you love that in school when the teacher gave you time to do the homework before you left? Um, <laughs> two questions. First one, what promise of God are you needing most in your life right now and why? 
could be one of the ones I've read, could just be something going, something going on in your life that you need, you need to really latch on. You need hope in a specific promise for God for a specific area of your life. What would that be? And then the second question is, how have you seen God's faithfulness in your life in the last month? Where have you seen God's faithfulness play out in your own life? In provision, in, in, in a relationship that has encouraged you, in, in a time of, of, of just connecting with God and, and, and receiving from Him peace or, or wisdom or, or whatever. How have you seen God's faithfulness in your life in the last month? Those are the two questions. And my, this is my challenge. As you eat today at your tables, I challenge everybody, everybody to share at least their answer to one of those questions to the table. And let that discussion go where it may. But that's the challenge. Either, either share with the table what, what promise of God you're needing most in your life right now, or how have you seen God's faithfulness in your life in the last month? Or if you're chatty, feel free to share both. Because it's, it's God's faithfulness. It's testifying to God's faithfulness that, that stirs up hope and our faithfulness to him. And so this isn't just something, some nice churchy thing to do. This is, this is what church should be. This is what, what God has called us to do is to, to, by the word of our testimony, stir each other towards love and affection to God. And so we get to do that, and we get to do it and have some fun and eat some food. It's amazing. God's faithfulness is, is so good. And so with that, let me pray. I'll bless the food, and um, I hope you can stick around. Um, and if, if you're on, online, um, we'll save you some. You can come by the office. No, <laughs> we probably won't. We're going to eat it all. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for, for this opportunity. God, thank you for reminding us this morning that, that you are a God of promises and you are a God who fulfills your promises. Holy Spirit, would you, would you as we, we talk around tables and as we, we have sat under, under your word this morning, would you remind us, would you encourage us, would you inspire us, would you fill us with hope, with a confident expectation that you fulfill the promises that, that you have given? God, would you give us eyes to see the promises that you are making to us individually in our lives today? So that we can, we can track and we can notice and we can participate and we can get in line with what it is that you're doing. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Oh, and bless the food. Amen.